Welcome to the Inspirational Living Podcast, brought to you in part by Book of Zen, makers of wearable inspiration for a better world. Today's podcast has been edited and adapted from The Mental Highway by Thomas Parker Boyd, published in 1922. The most vital application of psychology is in the study of the supreme passion of life called love, because it takes hold essentially of the feeling element of consciousness. Nothing so tones up the body, illuminates the mind and glorifies every object about you as the influence of love. Likewise, nothing can so undermine physical vigor, depress the mental processes, drape the soul in gloom and annul all the processes of action as much as a disappointment in love. This is true not only because of the beneficent effect of love as an emotion, but because love brings to fruition the fundamental creative impulse. We have not worked out the psychology of love as we have the more somber experiences of life. When we feel good, we surrender ourselves to enjoying it without analyzing the causes. But when our general vital feeling is that of illness or discomfort, we study all the minutia of cause and effect, the self-pity and the self-blame. Very few people ever stop to analyze their love emotions. Love is often an unconscious affair in its beginnings. We are unconsciously in love. You know that something out of the ordinary is the matter with you but do not know what it is, although everybody else does. Love is the carrying out of a general feeling of pleasure into something specific. It is inseparable from desire, for desire is impulse directed by ideas. We trace the psychology of love in this way. First, we find pleasure in the presence of another, followed by the egotistic desire to continue or increase that pleasure. The desire follows to hold or possess the person exclusively, which in turn is followed by a solicitude for the person's welfare, the feeling of responsibility and the extending of protection. Then follows a feeling of exclusive possession and ownership. And then love comes to the full bloom of the creative impulse from which it started, or it dies of suffocation. We may call one phase of love intellectual love, which is another word for idealistic sympathy. It loves for love's own sake and has no ulterior motive beyond the delight of mental association. Going into speculative psychology, love arises in the universal mind. It is the birthright whose image is engraved upon every individual born. Each person comes into the world with an unconscious ideal of our mental counterpart or other half our partner to be. With that mental picture or ideal, which is purely spiritual, we are always in love unconsciously. Then one day our senses report the image of someone who resembles this mental picture in physical form. The more perfectly they look like the picture, the more positively and consciously we are in love. Sometimes the discovery is gradual, as in those cases in which friendship ripens into love. Often our eyes are blind to all defects, 
the object seems to step in and fill perfectly the picture, and we are in love at first sight. The truth is, we are never in love with a man or woman. We love a perfect ideal, and someone who more or less fills that ideal steps into the picture and furnishes an objective upon which love may express itself. Such an objective may move into the picture at any time, and he or she may move out at any time, because they no longer fill the picture, while another, who more perfectly fills the ideal, takes the place. This may seem to make love a fickle and undependable thing. However, its fickleness is not in the love, nor in the lover, but in the objective that has failed to fill the ideal which has failed to grow and more perfectly express the perfect spiritual reality in objective form. The glamour of love is likely to be dimmed the moment that the humdrum of life renders the relationship commonplace. A common idea after the marriage ceremony is, now I have a mate, I don't need to work at making myself any better and more appealing. That thought is the death knell of love and the first step toward the divorce court. Yet, if we will learn from the ancients, we may learn the secret of holding the object of love. The mystery of charm is in the saying, Wonder is the beginning of wisdom. If we can, out of our own inner self, discover some new excitations to inspire wonder and admiration of our mate, we can constantly grow into the picture and nothing can oust us. People marry for many reasons. The two supreme qualities that motivate any action are curiosity and selfishness, even in love and marriage. The moment we think that we have exhausted the possibilities of a partner, have discovered all the charms of mind and heart, and nothing remains to excite our further wonder or curiosity, we are open to the challenge of the next candidate to fill the picture. Only the most staunch fidelity to the memory of what has been will keep love from seeking a new image to express its spiritual counterpart. There are, of course, other reasons why people decide to tie the knot. Some people get married to avoid being alone, while others marry for a social position or simply because they want to change. People also marry because of physical beauty, fascination with the creative spirit, and pity or sympathy for their partner's loneliness and helplessness. Others marry for companionship or they want children to perpetuate the family name or to help them in their old age. Some men marry for a home, a cook, and housekeeper. They want somebody to mother them. Some women marry from pride in landing a rich and successful husband. Still other people for spite, others for money, and finally, some marry for excitement, and they usually find it, but not always in the ways they expected. However, the ideal marriage is based primarily upon spiritual affinity, the fact that two people perfectly fill each other's spiritual ideals. Marriage requires harmony of mental qualities, companionship of ideas, and finally physical harmony. All these elements must be present. Many people have wrecked their marriages because they do not suit each other physically, others because they had no harmony of ideas. 
The truth is that most people need special instructions as to the physical, mental, and spiritual elements involved in the marriage contract and relationship. The glamour of love so blinds most people that they do not see the seriousness of the undertaking. They need to go to a school of matrimony where the common sense facts are presented to them so that they can undertake this great adventure with at least a reasonable chance for success. People have so debased some of the greatest words spoken that we need to send them to the laundry. Among these are love, marriage, and affinity. The world has lost their deep spiritual significance and a very material notion has taken its place. People talk of love as if it were some sort of material reality, something that begins in, belongs to, and ends in them. Nothing could be further from the truth. Love is a cosmic phenomenon, a universal power whose mystical and spiritual significance we have lost or forgotten, save in those rare moments of emotion when we catch the thread of its real meaning and feel the wondrous thrill. These rare moments are, unfortunately, quickly submerged by the grind of life. The moment we try to harness them to work for us and to serve us, their glory departs. Only when we let love work in and through us, with perfect freedom, will they abide. Love is grounded in our ultimate possible idea of God. The Logos, or idea, which we are told was in the beginning with God, was a process which culminated in beings being made in the image of God reflecting or expressing divine intelligence, love, wisdom, power, and other qualities. This process involves the truth that since the life of God took on the human form divine, every step has been toward a recovery of all those activities and privileges that were ours in the consciousness of God. Since the primal impulse of being is to create, and since the Creator is love, it follows that love is the great creative power. Creation is essentially the birth of ideas. It is the fire that furnishes all energy. It stimulates the imagination to construct all ideals, the skill to formulate all symbols, and it furnishes the power to build all forms. Love purifies all human imagery and evolves all the forms of human genius. It holds the prophecy of setting humanity free from all the chains of matter. The primary expression of the creative power is the reproduction found in every species. We see this in every form of life, from the lowest to the highest. Yet reproduction does not use up all the creative powers set free by love. In spring, the bird clothes itself in gorgeous plumage and sings its sweetest songs to find its mate. But it continues to wear its plumage and to sing after the mate is found. The creative power is busy building and preparing for the offspring when it arrives. Thus, both the primary and secondary expressions of the creative power seem to center in and revolve around love, at least in the bird's life. Most people see these expressions of love as a creative power, only hazily, and many think them associated only with our sex life. Yet the highest ideals that we express in thought 
literature, song, service, and other symbols that we see in the arts, sciences, and philosophy arise from love. The charm and inspiration of the opposite sex awaken and arouse us to attain and continue at our highest note of service. Life's secret of abundance is love. It comes from the one absolute source, and to give it the right of way in our heart is to fulfill all law, human and divine. Perfect love always seeks another's good. Selfishness seeks its own good. Two people love perfectly only in forgetfulness of self. Love seeks not her own. Yet the reciprocal operations are such that love never fails to draw its own. The law of affinity, the irresistible attraction of likes, guarantees that none shall lack his or her mate, and that every individual goes to their own place along the scale of character. Love instinctively clothes its object with a perfect ideal. To the lover, love is supreme, and all things are lovely and lovable, just as to the pure all things are pure. But often we find that the one we love does not fulfill the ideal. It is this eternal struggle between the ideally perfect and the realistically faulty that tries so many couples to the breaking point. Only a course in the University of Hard Knocks can help students to a wise adjustment of their perfect ideal to their imperfect human mate. Love is the legitimate basis of all ties, especially those of the family. A true marriage can arise only in the outgoings of this divine love ideal, which finds its own, and two become one. Marriage can begin, continue, and end aright, only in this divine harmony of two ideal lovers. This alone constitutes marriage, and because of this perfect harmony, we say that marriages are made in heaven. Legal and ecclesiastical sanctions alone cannot make holy matrimony. Love alone is the divine warrant. The other sanctions are provisions for the protection of the social order. Love is a divine creation whose volume is measured to the individual, according to his or her intelligence and uprightness. Love fills its possessor with a general altruistic inclination that expresses itself in kindness to every living thing. This is the key to every permanent success. Divine love, with its gentleness, cannot exist apart from a forgiving attitude toward all others and toward ourselves. Love stimulates the incentive to achievement, industry, presentable personality, and self-esteem. Love imparts its divine quality to everything and transforms its surroundings into a paradise. Love reclaims when all else fails. Love alone, with its kindness and gentleness, can inspire to greatness of achievement. Love promotes to our highest honor, and it shapes our destiny. The Inspirational Living Podcast is a production of livinghour.org. If you enjoy our podcast, please consider becoming a patron. You can become a patron for as little as a dollar a month. 
which will ensure that we can continue our podcast for years to come. To become a patron, please visit patreon.com. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com. Simply do a quick search for the Inspirational Living Podcast at patreon.com to find our Patreon page and learn more, including the free gifts we offer to every patron. Subscribe to our free podcast today at the iTunes Store or at Stitcher.com. For free transcripts of our podcast, please visit us online at podcast.livinghour.org. Thank you for listening. We look forward to being with you next time.